I want to I begin reading in Philippians chapter number 3. And Paul, uh, in the beginning of the chapter, he goes down, and, and we'll, talk, we'll jump back a little bit, but he's talking uh, from verse 4, he starts talking about things that he could be if he was a, of a mind to be, confidence in the flesh. But he, he's going he's gonna to show how that none of that really has any inherent value at all. There's nothing, there's nothing in our flesh. Remember Paul said, I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. And so Paul talks about that a little bit. Then in verse 7, after he, he gives, he elaborates a little bit, he elaborates just a little bit on some of the things that he might that might be notable. If he were writing a if he were writing out a resume for for uh, the Jewish community, he lists what his resume would be. It's pretty pretty impressive. But he says in verse seven, "But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ and be found in Him." not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Verse, verse number 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. Father, would you help today? Now, we've got a lot of folks on our prayer list, and we, we certainly want to pray for them. I pray you'll bless... Um, Lord, the, the dear families that have lost loved ones, and, and there's a number, Father, of, of those throughout the nation, people that we know and love, and pray that you would bless uh, Mallory and Nathan, bless the Umber family, be with them, give comfort and safety as they travel, and watch over them, dear God, and for the Cook family, that your hand would be upon them. Lord, give them grace, and the Massey family, that you would give them the comfort they need, the Halford family, God, please, Please watch over them. And for these others that are going through different types of sickness, Lord, whether it be COVID or whether it be cancer or whatever, I pray you'd help them and give them the things they have need of. And then now here tonight, Lord, do thy work. Speak to our hearts. Have your way and will in all that we say and do. And we pray these things in the name of Christ our Savior. And for his sake we pray them. Amen. Now, let's jump back to the beginning of chapter 3 for just a moment because Paul, uh, Paul uh, begins that chapter uh, by writing some things that were for what he said, the, the safety. It's, it's not grievous to me to write these, but it's safe for you. Can I just stop and say again that sometimes we are content with being saved when God wants us to be safe. Now, being saved talks about our eternal destiny. Being saved talks about how we live in this world that is, that is conditioned to wreck us, to ruin us, to destroy our marriage, to destroy our testimony. And let me tell you what Satan is. Satan is, he is the, he's the serpent. Listen to this. He is more subtle than every beast of the field. And so Satan knows how to get to you. He knows how to get around all of your objections and bring things in such a way. Remember that his ministers are transformed into the angels of light. Remember that Satan himself doesn't walk around with a forked tail and horns and a pitchfork and a red suit breathing fire at people. That's not how he comes. He comes, he comes 
in the means of something that's very glittery and very shiny and all flashing with neon. It may be a relationship. It may be an image, whatever it is. Satan knows how to package himself. So, so Paul is talking to them about their safety. And in doing so, he warns them of three different areas. First of all, he says, beware of, the consi- or beware of dogs. Now, remember that a dog was, was considered very much unclean uh, in the culture in which this is couched. And so you didn't, have people, you didn't have people taking selfies with their dogs and that kind of thing back in those days. That's not the way it was. A dog was viewed as pretty much of, a, of an unclean animal. And, and, uh, uh, and the Jews considered all Gentiles to be dogs. But I want you to remember that this is a Jewish community. I mean, this is a Gentile community. So what Paul is saying to this, this group of believers here when he says beware of dogs, he's not referring to racial lines, he's referring to moral lines. And so Paul is saying, listen, stay away from people, beware of dogs, stay away from people who follow the instincts. There's a, there's a definite correlation in the Bible of how people act like animals. They, God calls them ravenous wolves. God calls them, uh, God, God calls them, uh, uh, in different occasions, they're, they're connected with different animals and how, how, how that particular animal, like one of those is a dog. He says uh, in Proverbs 26, verse 11, as a dog returneth to his vomit, so a fool returneth to his folly. Now, that's not a very nice picture. I don't know of anybody in all my years of ministry that anybody's ever come up and said, that's my life verse. Uh, it's, it's just not one of the life verses you get. Philippians 4.13, yes. Philippians 1.21, yes. You know, you claim different verses, but that's not one. Nobody says, as a dog returned to his vomit, so shall a fool lose father. That's my life verse. No. That's a description of how men sometimes act uh, by their instinct and act in, in a manner that is below what God desires for us as people that were created in his image. So beware of dogs. Somebody that is perpetually, habitually addicted to the same sinful lifestyle over and over and over and over again. God said, stay away from that person. they got a problem. Second thing he says is beware, beware of evil workers. Now, in the previous chapter, Paul had talked about Timothy and Epaphroditus, and he called them fellow workers. Now he's not talking about fellow workers. He's talking about evil workers. Well, if the fellow workers were those who helped advance the gospel, the evil workers are those who, who try to hinder the gospel. And so he's referring here to Judaizers who do everything they can to shut the gospel down in every city Paul goes to. He was hounded and hunted and hated by people that did not want the truth of the gospel of grace getting out to the, to the world because it's the gospel of grace that sets people free. And so he, he warns them. He warns them about people that do their best to hinder the gospel of grace. Can I just... Can I just interject this? God does not take a light view at people that hinder the true gospel of grace. When you add anything to grace, you have turned it toxic. It's, it's poisonous. When you add one shred of work on man's part, you have totally polluted the gospel of grace. God doesn't take a, a very uh, light view of that. And then he says, third of all, and this is really potent, not only beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, but beware of the concision. Now, now, what does the word concision mean? It means to mutilate. So Paul is writing about the Judaizers whose entire, whose entire judgment of spirituality is based on an external 
um, tradition. And Paul said to them, you don't even understand what circumcision was all about in, in their relationship in the Old Testament with God. You've missed all of that, and you've turned it into nothing but a bloody tradition. And this is what Paul is saying to them. You, you are the party of self-mutilation. It has no spirituality to it at all. And, and, and that's, a, that's, a, that's a stunning thing because they had rejected the new covenant and were clinging, clinging to the traditions of the old. All it became then was, an, was simply an external show of the flesh. And listen, they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Doesn't matter what you do, they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Uh, and, and, and so then, then Paul, we just read, where Paul says, let me tell you about the flesh. I've done this, this, and this, and this. And if you want credentials that's going to impress people, I've got those, traditions, uh, those credentials and those traditions. But let me tell you what they are valued at. Dung. Paul said it's worth dung. Throw it in the field and fertilize the field. That's all it's worth. It has no inherent value in it whatsoever. Paul said, all of man's traditions, all of the works of my flesh, when all is said and done, they stink, they smell, they're dung. And so Paul wasn't very impressed with the flesh. Now, verse 10, let's read verse 10 again and, and look at that. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being made conformable unto his death that I may know him. Well, how do you know the Lord? Now, now, wait a minute. Okay, we understand that, first of all, we have to get to know him through salvation. But that's not what Paul's talking about. This is a saved man saying, I want to know him. So we know that Paul's not talking about that the beginning of that initial relationship when we put our faith and trust in Christ. So how do we know him? Well, you can know him historically, and that's certainly... That's certainly possible through the uh, presentation of Christ to us through the Gospels. When I was in Bible college, I took a class called The Life of Christ. And in that, we studied the life of Jesus Christ and the things that he did in the world. And so there is a possibility. Uh, there are secular people that I've heard debate and argue and talk, and they view Christ simply from a historical viewpoint. He, we can't deny that he lived. History, Secular history proves that but we deny who he, who he is. And so they, they, they look at Christ from a historical viewpoint. Um, public television and the History Channel and all of those people that don't even understand God or know the reality of who God is, they're always coming up with something about know the real Jesus. They've always got some stupid program they're putting out that's not based on the Bible. And every now and then there'll be something come out that Hollywood will put out and it's about Christ. And I always warn people, you've got you to tone that down. Because people get all excited about, well, I'll tell you, I saw this, and my word, it, it, it was so powerful and so real. Hollywood will botch it up somewhere down the line. You're just not going to get a true presentation of the Bible Christ coming out of Hollywood. Now, I'm not saying all of it's bad. I'm just simply saying that's not where we turn to get to know the Lord. And so here's the problem. Most people are content with knowing Him historically. Most people are satisfied with that. I can just know some things about him. I've read, I've read some great books in my life. I've, led, I've read uh, 
uh, R.E. Lee by Douglas Southall Freeman, a four-volume set. Powerful. My word, what a writer, what book. I've, I've read uh, uh, Edmund Morse's three-volume set on, on Teddy Roosevelt. And, man, you just talk about moving. It just, it's just incredible. And, and when I was at the Badlands for vacation this summer, I thought, I, I thought about Roosevelt and what he wrote in his books about the Badlands. And just amazing to me to be there and, and, and know that, that, that he had been there. And I, I read about how he, he became so iconic and great an American president. As I went down to Mount Rushmore there in South Dakota, there's T.R., right up on Mount Rushmore, chiseled uh, for all the world to see, and just, just an amazing thing. I've read the story of the Rough Riders and how they charged up San Juan Hill, and, and uh, just, just uh, and, and even his epic navigation of the Amazon was, was unbelievable. What a great man. I know, I know enough to sit down with you and talk with you about Teddy Roosevelt, but I don't know him. There's a great difference in knowing about someone and in knowing that someone. And I think that sometimes as Christians, we get satisfied that we know about the Lord. We, 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 I, I know about Him. I can give you some, I can quote some things. I can quote some facts. I can tell you a little bit about who Jesus is. And, but where we go slack at is in our personal, intimate, walk with Jesus Christ. I wonder how hungry we are to know Him, not historically, but to know Him personally in such an intimate manner that we feel comfortable talking to Him, crying to Him, expressing to Him the, the, the dark, darkest, deepest, secrets of our heart that he already knows are we on such a basis with him that we can literally pour our life out before him listen Paul's not saying I want to know about Jesus that's not what Paul's saying here what Paul is saying is I I want to I want a relationship that is so deep that that he and I go beyond the surface I want to know him more than I know him now. I want to I wanna know him more than I do now. Paul, thank God, was not satisfied with the casual, everyday, run-of-the-mill walk with Jesus Christ. Paul had a desire to have a personal walk with him. Now, there's a Bible college uh, that, that has a great motto. I, I love it. It's to know him and to make him known. Well, let me help you with this. You'll make him known a lot easier if you get to know him. To know him and then to make him known. You can't make him known if you don't really know him. And to what, to what extent you know him is the extent to which you can make him known. You can't share, you can't share facts about somebody that you don't know. You have to spend the time to learn that. So I want to talk with you a little bit. First of all, let me say this. We can know Him, we can know him through His creation. Now let me just take a moment uh, and, and talk about Psalm 19 where it says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth His handiwork. So I, I just want to tell you that we are literally surrounded by incredible beauty. Um, uh, 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 Chris 
uh, talked with me the, the other day, Chris Bradley, and his dream was to ride, he had looked on the map, his dream was to ride to, to Sun Valley. He wanted to see Sun Valley. So I said, all right, let's, let's do that. So we, we, I got on this bike, we got on the bike on Monday, Smokey, and uh, got on the bike on Monday and, and took off and rode, and rode that loop. And he was talking about the stunning beauty of, of everything that he had seen and, 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 and what he had experienced. And um, just incredible. I've been sneezing ever since then uh, because of, and I, and I smoked packs. But anyhow, uh, it, it's, it's all around us. And when we look out at the mountains, when we can see the mountains, the, 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 it, the beauty is there. David said this. I've never, I've never forgot this. I will look under the hills from whence cometh my help. Who's my helper? The Lord. Why did he say that? Because man can build a building. Man might dig a pond. Man can erect a structure. But God makes the mountains. And David said, when I look to the mountains, I, I know, I know that, that God is there because that's what God created. And so I will look unto the hills from whence cometh my help. When you walk out at night and you somehow feel like you could rake your hand across the sky and gather a handful of sparkling uh, uh, stars and the Milky Way is just so incredibly laid out before you. And across, across the sky goes a you know, streaking meteor and you, 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 you just look at the stunning view of all that. There's God. There, there's God. You want to get to know God a little bit? I can tell you how you can get to know God a little bit. Listen to the music that, 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 that the ocean sounds, the symphony of the waves crashing on the shore of the ocean, and you know a little bit about God. You, know, you want to know about God? Look at the beauty of the sunset in the afternoon as you ride home, and the sky is covered from one end to the other with pinks and oranges and, and, and blues and every shade of every color you can think of, just, just absolutely resplendent with God's handiwork. You get to know a little bit about God. Look at, the, look at a tree. Poems are made by fools like me, Kilmer wrote, but only God can make a tree. Look at a tree and, the, and the, the beauty of the different types of trees. Man, I love a birch tree. I, I like the bark and the black splotches just stuck all over it and the, the stately ponderosa pine and the mighty oak and, and, and then the beauty of the willow and you just you look at all around you, and and you see the stunning array of colors and 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 the things that God made. I want to tell you. Listen to me. It'll tell you a whole lot about God. God loves color. God loves beauty. God loves majesty. And when I see that, I I get to know something about my God because of the beauty of His creation. And I hope that you and I can learn to appreciate that more. Slow down. Not go so fast. And let's look and see what God's put around us. Number two, we get to know God through His Word. Now, I think this is primary. Because the things that God wants to teach us about Himself are ordered for us in His Word. The, the mind of God that God wants us to know about, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Well, what mind is that, this mind? Where do you find that? Right here. It's in the book. Uh, and so we can get to know God through His Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning uh, with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And in fact, in fact it, is, it is His Word 
that is the source through which our faith in Him grows. Okay? That's how we, how do you grow your faith? Okay, I'm not going to say, hey, guys, I want you to meet me down here Saturday morning at 4 o'clock uh, a.m. We're getting in this room. We're going to shut the doors. We're going to get down and we're going to psych up some faith. We all get in here. We just get start beating our heads on the chairs and really just somehow trying to somehow call in like some sort of karma, faith. That's not how faith comes. How do you get, how do you get faith? Faith cometh by hearing. And hearing by the Word of God. And so how do, how do you grow your faith? You learn the Bible. Study to show thyself approved, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And so the reality of the matter is, how, how are we going to know God? We know him through his word. Well, how, well, tell me, well, how do you, what do you find out about God in his word? Well, God's love. The Bible says that. How do I know, how do I know that God's love? Because the word, I, I, found out, I found that in the word right here. I don't know that he's loved because of, that everything goes right in my life. Because you know what? Sometimes everything don't go right in my life. Sometimes you have good days and bad days. Days that are really up, days that are really down. Days where it's like, man, this is full steam ahead. And days like, hmm, I just blew an engine. I mean, it, 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 everybody's life is like, so how do I know in the, in, in the midst of all of that that God is loved? Because that book tells me so. And I get to know about my God because he told me about himself in this book. He's the God of all hope. He's the God of peace. He's the God of comfort. Over and over the scripture describes him. He's holy. How do I know God's holy? Because I met somebody that acted weird. No. I know he's holy because the book tells me he's holy. So I can learn my God through his word. Not long ago, I was wrestling with something, and I was up early in the morning, not so much out of great discipline, but because I couldn't sleep. And so I got up and went down to the couch uh, in, in, in my man cave, and I opened my Bible up, and I started reading in the book of Psalms. And Actually, I was reading through Leviticus in my Bible, but I didn't, I didn't feel like at that time what I needed was the liver and the call and, and, you know, and the stuff. So I said, all right, I'm going to go to Psalms. So I was going to Psalms, and as I was headed for Psalms, my Bible just sort of plopped over in Proverbs. And, and quite honestly, I just said, okay, I'm just going to read here. And so I started reading in this chapter that was right in front of me. And as I began to read through the Proverbs, God began in his word to speak to me through his word about the very thing that I was dealing with. And he, and he gave me principles on how to look at the situation and view it from his viewpoint. He, he pulled me out of the circumstances and allowed me his perspective, and he said to me so clearly as I read his word, Dean, this is why. This is what's happened. This is, this is what my word says. And his word immediately, it was so amazing as I sat there and I, I began to read that. It was amazing to me how I recognized the Spirit of God ministering within me and giving me the answers to some things that, that, that I needed. So I can, I can know about Him through His Word. You want to know what, what God thinks about something? Go to the book. Now I want to tell you, you can ignore it, sweep it under the rug, or you can rearrange it. I know a lot of people, they take the Bible and they rearrange, oh, I'm going to rearrange this. And they shift things here or there. 
you know. But the reality of the matter is, let me tell you what God does. God speaks bluntly, black ink, white paper, clear word. God doesn't put any fog or any haze. This is what I have found out in my life. When there's fog, it's not on God's side, it's on my side. And so what I have to do, let me, let me, I'm going to help you with something. Listen to me carefully. The thing that helps has helped me more than anything is fasting. Because what fasting does is fa fasting lifts the fog. Fasting removes, it, it tells your body no. And as you fast, for whatever time period you feel led to, as you fast, it removes the fog in your mind and you hear the voice of God and understand the things of God more clearly because that fog lifts from your life and you have a more clear viewpoint of it. And so it's through the Word of God that we get to know God. Number three, we can know Him through the power. We can know Him through the power that He gives. Look, look at me in verse 10 again, if you will. Um, that I may know Him, now watch this, and the power, and the power of His what? Resurrection, okay? That's how we get to know God, through the power of His resurrection. For who is He? Wait, 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 look, listen, no. Greater is He that is in you than he that's in the world. What do you suffer? What do you, what do you, what's your problem? What, what are you going through right now? Can I tell you this? God wants you to know Him through His power. Your weakness. Paul said, when I'm weak, He's strong. When I'm weak, He's made strong. So it's in our weakness that we understand, dude, I am weak. But you know what God does? God comes along and just picks it up. He just, he just picks it up. I, I remember when I was a boy, my dad had a 1958 Evinrude 10-horse made out of absolute cast iron everything. I mean, it was unbelievably, it was one of those big heads on it, you know. Now they got the little skin. No, this was just big, just big, big Evinrude 10-horse. And we would go fishing. That was the biggest motor we had. The small motor was a three-horse Johnson. Well, we, we'd get down to Shipyard Creek in Savannah, and we, we would, we'd be going down, and we'd have to take it from the car to the back, and then we'd go down a ramp, way down a ramp, and, and there were slats to keep you from sliding. Then we'd get down on a floating dock, and then we'd put it in a boat, because we rented the boat from, from the fish camp there. So I remember one time, I remember one time, I was going to help Dad out. I remember grabbing that motor, and I remember picking it up, and son, I mean, it was like, it was unbelievable. My arm for three years was like six inches longer than the other one. I picked it up, and I had to tilt this way and prop it up on my hip and drag my leg. And so my leg became the wheelbarrow, and I'm dragging my leg along. But my dad, I remember my dad chuckling a little bit. And even when I was a teenager, it was heavy. But I remember back then, especially, I was just a junior boy, I remember my dad chuckling a little bit, and he said, son, let me, let me take that. And he reached over with one hand and grabbed it, and picked it up and just carried it. When we, get to the, when we got there, because Pop worked on the railroad for so many, we, when he got there, he just picked it up and set it in the, it in the boat. It just was no problem to it. Can, can I tell you what we do? We, we pull and we struggle, and God says this, okay, have you carried that long enough? Here's what I want to do for you. I want to show you my power. Hey, son, let me carry that for a little while. And you know what I do stupidly? Sometimes I say, no, Heavenly Father, I, I think I got this. And I drag my problems along. And God's like, give it to me. Casting all your care, your burdens, all your weights, casting all your care upon uh, uh, him for he careth for you. God said, let, no, no, son, let me carry that for you. And we would be wise to do that. Now, here's what happened to Paul. 
Paul is on his road to Damascus, and he is slapped to the ground. And who does he meet on the Damascus road? Listen carefully. The risen Savior. Don't ever forget that. See, Paul thought Jesus was dead. And so on the Damascus road, Paul met a risen Savior. So what did that do for me? Wait a minute. Um, uh, what, what would you have me do, Lord? Lord? Who art thou? Jesus of Nazareth. Oh, so you're not in the grave. You are alive. What would you have me do, Lord? And so what happened was, Paul's life was changed because he came in contact with the risen Savior. Now what Paul is saying is, I want to know him, listen, in the power of his resurrection. Why? Because if you get, listen, if you, if you get to where you know the resurrection power of Jesus Christ, there's nothing you're facing that's too big for you. I've said this before. The ladies on the way to the tomb were worried about the stone. If God can get Jesus out of the grave, the stone ain't no big deal. And as they walked on their way, who's going who's to move the stone? Who's gonna move? Read the scripture. They, that's what they were saying. Who's going to move the stone? As they went on their way, who's going to move the stone? What they didn't realize was that the resurrection power, the stone, was no problem whatsoever. If, if what you're facing is not bigger than the problem that God faced in getting Jesus out of the grave, you got no problem at all. If you compare that, and here's my problem, what about resurrection power? Well, resurrection power is bigger than my, my problem is. That's why the Bible says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Sometimes, sometimes we're sort of like the children of Israel at Kadesh Barnea, rather than coming back and saying, dude, did you see those grapes? Did you see what, you see what God's provided for us? Can you imagine? No wonder he calls it a land flowing with milk and honey. Have you seen the grapes that are there? This is incredible. No, no, no. Some of them did, but then they said, oh, well, there's not just grapes there. There's giants. Can God furnish a table in the wilderness? Psalm 78. Can God furnish a table? Flop those two words. God can furnish a table in the wilderness. Can God or God can? We're going to live one of those two ways. We're going to either live our life questioning the power of God or we're going to live our life emphatically proclaiming the power that God can do those things. And it's so important that we realize that. Jesus came and spake unto them, Matthew 28, verse 18, unto the disciples, and he said unto them, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and Son, and the Holy Ghost. So, so, so why do we go? Because he's got all the power. We're going in his name. He's got, he said, listen, you need power, I got power. I got power. And so because I've got the power, I'm now commanding you to go. And you can get the job done. And so he's in... So when we, listen, when we know him in resurrection power, that makes, that empowers us to make him known to, to a lost and, and dying world. Number four, let me say this, we know him through the things we suffer. Well, wow, look in verse 10 again. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Now watch this, watch this next statement. And the fellowship of his suffering. Isn't that a strange statement? I don't know if you said I, 
uh, so we're going to have a fellowship, Sunday night fellowship. Pastor, are we going to we're going to suffer together? No, that's not what you equate fellowship with. No, fellowship is eating. Amen. It's getting together, having food, cooking, bringing your favorite side dish. You know, it's what we did down at Swan Falls just recently. Had a lot of great food, hot dogs, hamburgers, a lot of side dishes, desserts, and flies. It was amazing down there. And uh, we thought they were great uh, raisins, but then we found out, no, they weren't. But anyhow, so, so the word fellowship, it's not a word that we associate with suffering, but it's important, I think, to note that, that, that what Paul is referring to, wait a minute, is the fellowship of his suffering. That's what it brings us. God doesn't say go suffer together. No, God says it's, it's his suffering. Let, let me give you some verses. Philippians 1.29, For unto you it is given on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. 1 Timothy 4.10, For therefore we both labor and suffer reproach, because we trust in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of those that believe. 1 Peter 2.20, For what glory is it, if when ye be buffeted for your faults, ye take it patiently, but if when ye do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently. This is acceptable to God. 1 Peter 3.14, But and if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happier ye, and be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. 1 Peter 3.17, For it is better, if the will of God be so, that ye suffer for well-doing, than for evil doing. 1 Peter 4, 16, Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on, on his behalf. So here we are. Here we are in a world where we're becoming, maybe, more familiar with the possibility of suffering as Christians. Now, I know we think we've got it real, real bad, but that's because we're pampered. Go to third world countries. Talk to Christians in Afghanistan and what they're afraid of right now. Now, be careful what you copy and paste on Facebook because there's a, there's a thing going around that's been going around for like five years is talking about a group of, of Afghanistan people that are being beheaded, and it's be, I've seen it like, five years in a row. So be careful what you copy and paste. Do some checking out, please, rather than just being you know, somebody that hands that off to the next person. The same old thing that we've been seeing for years. Now, I'm, not, I'm not belittling it. I'm just simply saying we lose our credibility when we let people set us up like that. So be careful with that. But if you think that, you think that what's going on in ta the Taliban uh, is, is, is a cakewalk, it's not. And, and, and here's the deal. Read the voice of the martyrs. The Christians around the world that are suffering. You think in China they're, they're putting them in positions of leadership? No, they're killing them. They're persecuting them. They're punishing them in, in nations all around the world. And there's a whole lot said about different sects and different groups of people that are that are being punished around the world, but ain't nothing being said about Christians that are being punished around the world. That's because we're not of this world. And, and, and yet, we have, you know, I think sometimes, I think sometimes we have a, a, um, an attitude of, of non-committal. We want to come to church and be entertained. 
We don't want hard stuff. We don't want strength. Remember Jesus, remember Jesus gave them a hard saying and they couldn't swallow it and many left him and Jesus turned and said to the disciples, will ye also go away? And Peter said, to whom shall we go? For thou hast the words of life. It could be, it could very well be that in our lifetime, maybe very soon, that we have to make choices as to how serious we really are about church and whether or not we're really locked in to being faithful to the house of God. Could very well be that way. I don't know, but we'll find out. Paul wrote to Timothy in chapter 3, verse 2 of the second letter, and he said, Yea, and all that live, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall, shall suffer persecution. Boy, that's a big statement. And all that live godly in Christ Jesus. Now, if you want to go along and play the tune that everybody else is playing and just 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 blend in, you're probably going, you're probably going to be all right. But it's becoming more and more an accepted reality in the world that if you take a stand for, for righteousness and what you think is right, you're going to get ridiculed. And the sad thing is you're getting ridiculed by people that call themselves Christians. We devour ourselves, unfortunately, sometimes. And, 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 and so we, we need to be careful. Sometimes the storm blows us into his embrace. That ever happened to you? storm rages in your life and it blows you into his arms and as the storm rages you find on Christ the solid rock I stand you find that 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 uh, uh, he he is the cleft in the rock that that uh, that hides us from the stormy tempest that is that is around us and and so it's important um, Jesus suffered for others, and I think that sometimes we're called upon to, 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 to suffer for others also, and, and sometimes I think we're, we're reticent to do that <coughs> rather than being willing to suffer. We, we like every word in the Bible but the word suffer. And over and over again, God tells us that there are things we're going to have to suffer in life. <clears throat> and if you're saved, it doesn't exempt you nor galvanize you from suffering. People are going to lie to you. They're going to cheat to you. They're going to steal from you. They're going to betray you. They're going to stab you. That's the world we live in. I talked with a young man today. Uh, we had a, a, a fellowship today, a great time. We were talking about the tragedy, the tragedy that Christians face, sometimes even from other Christians. People betray you and treat you wrongly. And they claim, they claim to know Christ as their Savior. That's a sad, tragic reality. We're going to suffer if we're serving the Lord. And we can't allow that, that we can't allow that to drive us away from Him. It ought to drive us to Him. Then, last of all, let me say this. <clears throat> we know Him through dying to self. We know Him through dying to self. Notice verse 10 again, Philippians chapter 3, that I may know Him and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. The problem is this, look at me. We're sinful people born in a sinful world by sinful parents 
into a sinful environment. And, and the, problem, the problem is we are very, very much alive to sin. Sinful world, sinful parents, sinful environment, sinful nature. Our start from the get-go, from the very beginning, our start is sinful. Just that way. You don't have to teach a child to do wrong. They naturally do it. I've known one exception to that and one exception only. And Reagan is here. She's sitting right here in this room. My granddaughter has not been of that nature. We didn't think she had a sin nature. But the reality of the matter, until she ran past me and hugged Aunt Dee, and then I thought, wow, what a little sinner. But anyhow, now the, the reality of the matter is this. L listen to me. We struggle from the start because we, we get a bad start. We're born in sin. Wait a minute. Not only are we sinners by birth, but we're sinners by choice. And so the reality of the matter is we have to learn how to die to self. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary one to the other so that you cannot do the things that you would. The Bible says in Galatians 5.17. Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul wrote the church at Corinth in his first letter to them uh, in the 15th chapter. He said, I die daily. Paul wrote to the church at Galatia again in chapter 5, verse 24, and he said, They that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and the lust. Let me tell you something. The spirit-filled life and the Christian life, listen, they are contrary. Spirit-filled life, excuse me, and the flesh life are contrary. The self-life what I'm trying to say. you got a spirit-filled life, you got a self-lived life. Okay, who's guiding who? Walk in the flesh, you shall not Walk in the spirit, you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. They're contrary one to another. And so sometimes even the good things we do, we're doing it fleshly. That's a great song. That's a beautiful song. Why'd you sing it? Because I want everybody to I want everybody to hear me. Well, thank you, Pastor. That was a wonderful message. Then you go straight home and I say, hey, Susie, you know what they said about my message? I, 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 I heard a guy say one time, he said, compliments are like perfume. It smells good, but don't swallow it. And I tried to make a law in my own life years ago when I was young, and that is never repeat a compliment and never repeat a criticism. Why? Because the, compliment, the compliments will mess you up and the criticism will mess others up that love you. So be careful Sometimes what we say, it's, it's, it's either of God or it's, it has no eternal value whatsoever. And so Paul said, being made conformable unto his death. Paul said, i got to die. Who do I die to? Not, listen, Paul's talking about dying to self, dying to our desires. John the Baptist was approached by his own disciples, and they said to John, Here's something. You want to test somebody's character? Here's something. Hey, um, your cousin, Jesus, his ministry's outgrowing yours. More people are coming to hear him. Crowds are huge. It's just amazing what's going on, John. So what's John going to do? Green-eyed monster, grab him by the throat? 
him start getting angry because his ministry's not now the ministry? No. John said, he must increase, then I must decrease. He's got to have priority. He's the one. I'm not. And so I think the cry of our life should be this. Listen, look, look, look at me. Come on. We've all struggled, every one of us. It's, it's a difficult thing sometimes to walk away from who you are, to, to get to a place to where you, 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 you die to yourself. But that's what every one of us has to do. You know what? Nobody's born that way. I had a guy tell me one time, he said, you're different. You're, you're pastor, you're different. You don't have these desires. You don't, you, you don't have these struggles. You don't have these problems. And I'm just like, dude, what planet did you fall from? Are you, are you crazy? No, we all went through teenage years. We all went through struggles and temptations and problems. And you have to make a choice. Self or the Savior? Self. I'm going to live for self. I'm going to live for the Savior. If you got enough sense to look around, you'll just look around. You'll find out that people that are living for self, they're not really very happy people. And things aren't really turning out the way that they act like they will. In fact, if you watch people that are living for self, they're the most miserable people in the world because self is the most miserable person in the world. But when you die to self, being made conformable unto his death. Listen, when you, when you are down and you're out of the way, it's easier to know him than you've ever known him before. Through, our, through his resurrection, through his word, through his creation, through our suffering, through his power, and through our dying to self, We'll know Jesus more intimately than we've ever known him in all of our lives. Let's, let's pray together, could we? Father, thank you for your love, your mercy, and your grace. And I pray now that you would continue to bless, continue to minister, and, and may thy Holy Spirit work. Give us a great day on Sunday, Lord, I pray. And bless our uh, ladies' luncheon uh, this Saturday, uh, Lord. I pray you'd bless that, help that to be a great time. Bless as the Barretts come and present to us their ministry to England on Sunday morning. Lord, make it a great time, and, and uh, we'll thank you for all that you do. In Jesus' name, we pray these things.